to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Second Corinthians chapter 12, you know that Paul is dealing with the church in Corinth. The last few messages that I've given is talking about Paul communicating with the church in Corinth. Corinth, as you remember, we oftentimes kind of humorously consider it, you know, Las Corinth, kind of like Las Vegas, where anything goes, you know, and, and Corinth was a place that was a very debaucherous place. It was a debaucherous city, but Christ gained a foothold in that city and the church began to grow and the church began to misappropriate scripture began to misappropriate the intent of scripture in such a way that they felt that forgiveness was licensed to live any way anyone wants and to accept them into the church and say, hey, live any way you want and be a part of this church and, and everything goes. I mean, and we're, we're showing the love of Christ by being so welcoming of you and loving you and welcoming you. And Paul, he put, it, put the stop to it. I mean, Paul would be chastised today, I believe, in our, in our country. I think Paul would be on the evening news you know, uh, many of the, 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 the media would, much of the media and, and many people would be after Paul because he would be intolerant of certain things. You remember Paul was saying, hey, it's re- reported that a man has his, he's sleeping with his dad's wife and he's amongst your congregation and you guys think there's nothing wrong with that. Well, I'm telling you, you need to, you need to take care of that thing. You need to deliver that man to, this, to the devil that his soul might be saved. That doesn't sound very tolerant. Paul was attempting to purge evil from the church. We get this idea today and the media loves to propagate this mindset that we in the church should be Casper milk toasts when, and that means just kind of wimpy when it comes to sin. Do we tolerate sin? Should we tolerate sin? Well, no, we shouldn't. We should deal aggressively with it individually and in our own lives. If we're living apart from Christ, according to what his word says, then we should not incorporate it and welcome it into the church. If the word of God says these, are, these things are sin, then we shouldn't welcome them into the church. Because if the Bible says these things are sin, if it said it then, it means it now. The Bible doesn't change. God doesn't change. We know that, don't we? What does the Lord say? I am the Lord. I change not. And so God doesn't flip-flop based upon our culture. And we have this idea that God does change based upon our culture. And so what happens is that we begin to welcome sin in and we think that we're loving God by loving people, which I'm not saying don't love people. I'm not saying don't love people in sin. What I'm saying is that when you have leaders in a church that are living in sin and propagating sin and saying, well, hey, we have accepted this in because we think that God would welcome this in and it's in direct confrontation to the word of God, then 
we've got a problem. That person needs to be removed from his position. That person needs to be removed because you can't take this word. It was just even as I opened my, the, the message today in praying, God, don't let my flesh get in the way. We did not come here to hear my opinions. We're never to go into, and please, maybe this is the last time you're ever going to be at this church. Please, let this sink in and let this become a part of your DNA, your spiritual DNA. Do not take what is spoken from the pulpit as absolute gospel truth without you also checking it yourself. Because you know what? There's a lot of boneheads that are in pulpits today. And they're not speaking the truth. And so go home and check it yourself. And if the pastor or preacher or speaker or whoever that person is up in the pulpit speaking something, he says it, she says it, whoever says it, and you go to the Word of God and say, hey, that doesn't jive with what the Word of God says. Someone's wrong, and it's not the Word. I, I'm going to let you come up with the answer to who it is that's wrong. We're going to know who it's wrong or who's wrong. And just because God forgives us of our sin doesn't mean that we continue in it. The woman caught in the act of adultery, brought before Jesus. They wanted Jesus to stone her. They wanted Jesus to give the approval to stone this woman. I mean, come on, there's a proof text that sin can come in, right? Jesus didn't stone her. He didn't throw a rock at her. He didn't give the approval to throw a rock. Oh, he didn't? He did give the approval to throw the rocks, didn't he? You remember the story, right? Brought right before Jesus from all these men. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. What did Jesus say? He who is without sin, let him be the one that cast that first stone at her. So he gave the approval, go ahead and stone her. But there's a prerequisite before you toss that stone out of your hand. And that prerequisite is this. You've got to examine your own life. And if there is sin, and by the way, the inference in that text was Jesus saying, he who is without this same sin that she was caught in. I mean, it just drips with hypocrisy, doesn't it? This woman was caught in the act of adultery. Where was the guy? He was one of your buddies, wasn't it? You're not going to stone this buddy of yours. You like him, but this shameless hussy, she needs to be tossed, you know. She needs to be killed. Jesus says, hey, you know, here's the thing, guys. All of you guys that are here to accuse her, any of you who are without this same sin, let him cast the first stone. Well, if that weren't enough, they might feel pretty self-righteous. I'm going to fill in some of the gaps here just to help my brain work. This is kind of what I do to fill in the gaps. I'm not going to be dogmatic on this. But it says Jesus said that and then he kneeled back down on the ground and he began to draw in the ground. He began to write things in the ground. And after that, one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, or from the youngest to the oldest, they dropped their stones on the ground and they walked away. I wonder what Jesus was writing on the ground. In their self-righteous, dripping with hypocrisy accusations. And Jesus says, you have all committed the same... If you have not committed this same sin, go ahead and cast that stone. I'm under the personal understanding or, or conviction. Again, not dogmatic. Not going to be dogmatic on this. But I think that when Jesus was writing in the, in the dirt, he began to write their names out. And then put a little dash mark by it. And then wrote the prostitute's name or the neighbor's wife or whoever it is that they were sleeping with or who they had slept with. And maybe a date down on the ground. 
They're out there looking at that. People started dropping their rocks. I'm sure some of the guys dropped their rocks fast before he even started writing their names down because they didn't want to be numbered amongst those who those other hypocrites. You know? I don't want my sin to be found out, but they were all gone. You remember what Jesus said? He stood back up after they all were gone. And Jesus said to the woman, Woman, where are those who accuse you? And she looked up. And I'm sure with a very shaky voice said, There are none. And Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you. But, but, go and sin no more. It was a sin that she did. Jesus acknowledged the sin. He didn't say, now, woman, I chased him away. Go and continue in your sin. Go and continue to sleep with that guy that you were sleeping with. No, because that would be inconsistent with what the Word of God says, right? It's not, we're not to commit adultery, and yet, and Jesus didn't, didn't excuse it. He didn't sweep it under the carpet. He acknowledged it for what it was. And he said, now go and don't do that again. Don't do it anymore. And so she, off she went. And, and so here's the thing. The church in Corinth, they were welcoming sin in. And they, they were feeling like they were polishing their badges of good Christian because they were welcoming sin in. And Paul was going, no guys, you've missed the, you've missed the understanding on this. We don't welcome sin into the church. We're here as sinners to purge the sin from us. And if there's sin that's running rampant in the church, you need to deal with it head on. But there were some other super apostles that were coming and they were accepting some things that Paul was saying. And Paul was going, hey, these guys that are coming and talking to you, they're talking rubbish because they're, they're not dealing with the issues in your life that you need to deal with as a church. And I know it's hard and I know it's not popular. And these other super apostles, they look good, they speak well, and actually, they charge you money to come. And the problem that you have with me is that I don't look good, I have a horrible voice, and I don't charge you any money. And so you think I'm a second-class apostle. You're thinking that I'm a second-class teacher. I'm the one that birthed this church. And now you're running after people that are saying it's okay to do... And he spells out some things. He says, you guys, are, you guys are welcoming these guys in that these guys are going to one day pay for these things. These guys are such, such are false apostles, he said back in chapter 11, verse 13. For such are false apostles. They're deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ... And no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Now, here's what Paul's saying. He's going, these guys that are coming in, they look good, they look the part, they, they're, but they're posers. They're posers. You know, a, a poser, you know what a poser is. A poser is somebody who looks apart and talks apart but can't actually handle the part, you know. 
uh, it reminds reminds me of a of a uh, situation. My son and I were just kind of re- reminiscing of a, of a uh, story that was told to me many years ago, and I've told him and relayed to him. But one of my best friends, Dave Otter, he was the best man in my wedding. He he works in construction, and 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 there was a guy that always was just a mouth off. He just was he was the greatest guy since sliced bread, you know. And he made everybody know that he was, and you know, he was the subject matter that day at their break time at their construction job was was you know him and how you know John Daly, you know, the golfer, the long, you know, he he'd hit the ball forever, you know. And he was a professional golfer and could hit the ball long, you know. And and this guy was talking about how oh man, I could hit the ball so much farther than John Daly and da 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 da. da. And everybody's going, "You can't either." He said, "No, I can. I totally can." I mean, I mean, I consistently hit it and he sits there and he makes himself out to be this big thing and Dave's never gets into the middle of these things he kind of just sitting back over there and he's eating his he's eating his uh uh you know sandwich and drinking his coke or whatever you know and he's back over there and he just hears so much of this guy and this guy just is just continuing to say and talk about how wonderful of a golfer he is and Dave remembers that he's going to go golfing that day after work and he has his golf clubs in the back of his truck and Dave goes, all right, that's it. Let's get this over with. And they worked, you know, out on the, on the streets. They were that kind of a construction worker, you know. Dave went out, he grabbed a golf club, a driver, he grabbed a tee and he grabbed a ball and he put a ball down on the ground and he handed this golf club to this guy and he goes, show us. And the guy goes, okay, all right. He didn't even know how to handle the club. He missed the golf ball. And when he finally did make a connection with the ball, golf ball, it went pew off to the side. And then he blamed the golf club. Well, if I had my own golf club and everybody's going, shut up. Poser. Poser. That's a poser. Sorry that my friend humiliated a man before everyone, but I kind of think he had it coming, didn't he? I'm sorry that I don't mean to glory in something like that but don't that bother you when somebody is just oh I'm perfect I do this I do that and, and here's the thing you aren't poser and that's what these guys were they were posers in the pulpit that could be a message right there posers in the pulpit and they were and Paul's going these posers in the pulpit they're charging exorbitant fees to come in here and what they're doing so that they're robbing you and you're listening to what that junk that they're speaking and the thing is is that they're driving you further away from Christ than driving you to Him. And what you're mad at me with is that I don't look the part. Can you imagine what Paul's body looked like? <laughs> he, he, he talks about it. He talks about what his body would look like there in chapter 11. He wouldn't look the part, would he? He... He says, I don't want to have to do this. And I, I mean, I reluctantly actually have to, I feel like I reluctantly have to, to state before you my qualifications, my credentials. As a pastor, as a, an apostle, as a teacher, as a church planter, as a man who has a passion for Christ. I, I feel like I have to I have to boast in these things. I don't want to. And what I'm about to say, do not blame Christ. Okay? 
He said there in verse 17, what I speak, I, I'm going to speak according, not according to the Lord, okay? Don't blame God for what I'm about to say, okay? But as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting that I'm about to say to you, Paul was not in the mood, he wasn't in the, in the vein, he wasn't in the, the, the habit of going around and saying, this is who I am, this is what I've done, this is how awesome, I'm, how awesome I am. These are the sufferings that I've endured. Now listen to me. That's not him. That's not Paul. If you read the 13 letters that Paul writes out of the 26 chapter or the 26 books of the New Testament, I believe Hebrews is part of that. But here's the thing. As you read his books, he's not one who boasts. But he's brought to this place where he has to boast. He has to share his experience in order to lay before them his credentials so that they would shake it would shake their minds out of these this this fascination with the celebrities that came into the pulpits the posers in the pulpits and and so paul he says listen you're listening to these guys they charge you exorbitant fees and and they come in and they say well we're hebrews well am i not a hebrew are they israelites yep so am i are they the seed of abraham yep me too Verse 22, are they ministers of, or 23 of chapter 11, are they ministers of Christ? I'm going to speak as a fool. I am more. In, in labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. You know what stripes mean, right? Stripes mean the scars on his body from the whippings that he endured. In stripes, above measure. Have you ever seen a scar? A big scar of somebody and you go, ooh, wow, you know? And a friend of mine who's a pastor up in, in Maine that, that actually, he was a lumberjack at one time and he actually uh, uh, was doing his lumberjack thingy and he, he got in an accident with a chainsaw that hit his side. He's got a wicked, wicked scar and you go, ooh, it's horrible looking. It's horrible. You look at it and it just makes your, God, it makes your skin kind of, you know, shock a little bit. Well, if you looked at Paul, that's what you'd see. That's what you'd see in Paul. In stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. I'm constantly in the state of almost dying for my faith. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. I was whipped 195 times. How many of these posers in the pulpits have ever been whipped for the cause of Christ? Three times I was beaten with rods. About eight or ten years ago, you remember, there was a guy that, that, that was, I can't remember exactly what country he was in, but he got beaten with rods. He was an American. And his punishment was, was to be beaten with rods. And you go, wow, that, you don't hear that every day. But he, he had to endure it. He endured it. Singapore, yeah. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. No, not that way. But with actual stones. Lystra. They kicked him out of the city because they thought he was a false prophet. And they took these stones and began to just pile stones, heave stones on Paul and beat him and hit him and hit him and hit him and hit him. Once I was stoned. When you stone someone, you never stone someone to hurt them. 
it's always stoning someone to rid the earth of them. To pile upon them a heap of stones after bludgeoning them to death with the stones. That the stone mound would be a reminder to not do what this guy did. He's dead. He's covered with all of these stones. Paul says, that happened to me once. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. And journeys often perils of waters and perils of robbers. And it goes, I'm among all of these other things. My concern is for you, the church. I do all this stuff. I endure all this stuff because I love you. I love Christ. I love what Christ wants to do in your life, what Christ wants to do in this church. I love you. I don't charge you for it because I'm not here for the money. I'm here for you. He's going to say in chapter 12, we're not going to get to that part today, but he's going to say, hey, I don't want yours. I want you. I don't want what you can give me. I don't want your money. I want your heart. I want you. I want to be with you in heaven one day. That's my passion for you. And you're getting ripped off. And so when Paul would come into town, he'd have all these scars all over him. He had this, this, this problem that he had. He's gonna, we're going to look at that here in a second. But here we had this problem. Probably with his eyes. And it could possibly find itself attached back to the time that he was stoned. Or maybe one of the whippings that he took. Or it could be just an infection or something. We don't know. We don't know. Paul says, hey, listen. And he was to the Galatians. He says, listen, you guys would have given me your eyes if you could. If you could have. So many people think that maybe Paul had a problem with his eyes. It wasn't pleasant to look at Paul when he preached. But Paul was a preacher. Paul was not a poser in the pulpit. And Paul was making them know. And he was, going, he was saying, listen, I have to boast on these things. I don't want to. I'm reluctant to do that. But I've endured so much and none of these guys have done that. You can't look at me and look at them and compare the two. You're asking me, you're forcing me to actually show you my qualifications. He says in verse 1 of chapter 12, it's doubtless not profitable for me to boast I, I don't want to do this. I'm, I feel I have to so that I can at least garner some credibility in your eyes so that your eyes and your minds and your hearts would wake up to where you are right now and to what you're allowing into the church. He says, I'm going to come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. The third heaven uh, would be a reference to you know, heaven where God resides. Uh, back in that day, it was the, the sky above us, the blue sky you know, and the clouds. That would be the first heaven. The stars and the, you know, the planets would be the second heaven. And where God resided was the third heaven. And so Paul says, I know a man in Christ 14 years ago who was caught up 
into the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Now, before we go on, here's the thing. Do you see even just the humility of of Paul? Paul is speaking in third person. He's saying, I know a guy. (laughs) You always kind of want to be wary of somebody who goes, hey, I know a guy. I know a guy. And I don't know if that's how Paul talked, but I know a guy who 14 years ago, he was caught up into the third heaven. I know this guy. And, and we look at that, um, uh, and as, you, as you, you listen to it, you go, why is Paul saying, I know a guy? Does, does he know someone that did that? Yes, he knew someone had, who did that. This is lending to the understanding that Paul does not want to boast. This is, this is Paul. Paul's talking about himself, by the way. Oh, how come? How do you know? Because as you move into verse 6, verse 7, Paul moves away from a third person to a singular. He goes into a personal recollection of that day. Paul begins to speak from the singular. He begins from the first person uh, experience. Paul's talking about himself, but he is so reluctant to talk about what it is that he saw. When he went up into the third heaven, it says, I know a man 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, he's just not wanting to bring attention to himself. I don't know. God knows whether I was in the body or out of the body, how he was caught up into paradise and he heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, very quickly, let me just say this. A couple of different things that I want to say here. Paradise always kind of brings me. I have to. I have to look at this. Paradise is not just a a word. It's a it's a pronoun. It's a a word talking about an actual place. I believe, personally, I think that the Bible. I believe, not think. I believe that the Bible speaks of paradise as being a location. Paradise being in the garden of God. Paradise being in in a place that at one time was in the center of the earth. I believe that the center of the earth, we don't know what's down there. We have theory. But I I believe whether it be physical or whether it be spiritual, I believe in the center of the earth because this is what the Bible teaches. Jesus said, as the Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man, me, be in the belly, in the center of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus says, that's where I'm going to go. Now, some people will like to go, yeah, but he wasn't really talking about that. He was talking about actually just being in the tomb for three days and three nights. Yes, of course, three days, three nights, but spiritually, where did he go? Not just in that tomb. Well, how do you know that, Pastor Don? Well, because what did I hear Jesus say from the cross? What did we hear Jesus say from the cross? You remember there were two thieves on each side of him. Both of them were mocking Jesus at one time, but somewhere along the line, one of them got saved, right? One of them got saved. One continued to mock Jesus and the other that was on his, one of his sides, he said and, and, and rebuked the other prisoner on the cross. He says, stop. Don't you know that you and I are up here and it's justified that we're up here? We deserve to be up here, but not him. Not him. 
He does not deserve to be up here. And he looked over at Jesus and he said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, would you remember me? What were Jesus' words at that time? He said, my son, I tell you that, that this day you will be with me in paradise. Where did Jesus go? Three days. As Jonah was three days, three nights in the center of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the center of a great fish. Or in the, in the center of the earth, I'm sorry. Jesus went into the center of the earth. Where was the center of the earth? I believe Abraham's bosom, paradise, in this location in the center of the earth. But isn't that where hell is? You remember the, the, the parable. You remember the story that Jesus said. The rich man and Lazarus. You remember? The rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus, poor guy. Didn't have you know money. He was a beggar. He ate from the crumbs that fell from the table of the rich man. But then there came a day when they both died. Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. He descended, went into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man descended and went into Hades. And as he went into Hades, there was torment there. There was torment there. And and the rich man called out from his side of Hades in the place of torment. And he called out and he says, Father Abraham, please send Lazarus over that he might dip his finger into the water and touch it to my tongue for my soul is in torments here. So there's communication in this place where they both were. And Abraham was there. And so was Lazarus. Jesus states it. And Abraham's, what was Abraham's word? Abraham's word was, listen, there is a chasm between us. We can't come to you, you can't come to us. It it can't happen. Even if we wanted to come over and give you water, we couldn't do it. Well, if you can't do that, Father Abraham, please send somebody back and warn my brothers not to come to this place that I'm in for my soul is in torments. And Abraham says, listen, they have the prophets just like you did. They have Moses just like you did. They will not believe just like you didn't though someone were to even return from the dead. Which I think is pretty interesting that a man by the name of Lazarus did rise from the dead when Jesus rose him from the dead after being dead for four days, right? He rose again from the dead because Jesus' Lazarus come forth and he came out of the tomb. You know what immediately happened when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead? The actual Lazarus when he rose him from the dead? The very next chapter says that the Jews sought to kill both Jesus and Lazarus. You think that they were influenced by, wow, here's a guy that came back from the dead. I'm, I must hear what this guy has to say. No, they were just trying to snuff him out because it didn't fit in with their tradition. It didn't fit in with what it is that they thought God was, that they thought church should be or they thought that religion should be. Gang, if we don't think that we can get caught up in that kind of a mindset that they did, you're mistaken. That's why it's so imperative that we understand what the Word of God says and we don't allow our dictates in our own life to, or our, our own traditions in our own life to dictate what the Word of God says. We've got to look at what the Word of God says and see what is approved, what is not approved, what is, is okay from you, God, what is, it, what is okay for you 
for me to be involved in, for me to do. Because here's the thing. If you don't have the word of God, you're going to live any way you want. You're going to just expect God to just be okay with it. But that's not how it works. Now that's how the church, that's how the posers in the pulpit want you to know. But that's not how it works. Jesus says, if this doesn't shake you to your very core, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, many will come to me in that day and they will, will they, they'll say this, Lord, Lord, didn't I cast out many demons in your name? I said, in Jesus' name, come out of him. And a demon would come out. I cast a lot of demons out of people. Didn't I do many mighty wonders in your name? Didn't I do all these things in your name? And Jesus says, I will declare to them at that day, depart from me, I never knew you. How? How can that happen? This, is, this sounds like a guy from a church. This sounds like a pastor, a poser in a pulpit, doing a lot of things that look religious, but there is no relationship. Jesus says, I, I never knew you. We never had a relationship. You did this for you. You didn't do this for me. You did this for your pocketbook. You did this for a job. You did this for whatever the reason was. You did it for some other reason than for a relationship with me. So depart from me. I never knew you. Be careful of listening to posers in the pulpit. How do you know it's a poser from the pulpit? You can't know until you understand the word of God. You've got to know the Word of God. We have got to be well-versed in the Word of God. Because the Jews, the, the religious Jews, they, they had it memorized, the Old Testament memorized. And here, the Messiah, the promised one, is in their midst, and they missed Him. Are you smarter than them? Am I smarter than, than they were? No, absolutely not. It should cause me, cause you, cause us for concern to say, I better know my word. And I better seek God's face on giving me discernment on what his word says. And, 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 and so, when that's the passion that Paul has. Alright? This paradise thing, Jesus... He descended in to the middle of the earth. And I believe that he led captivity captive. He took what was in prison. And when we say prison, were they in torture? No, they weren't in torture. But they were waiting for the promise from on high. Hebrews chapter 11 says, These all died looking forward to the promise. Those in the Old Testament before Christ, these all lived and died looking forward to a promise of a coming Messiah. Where did they go? Where did people go when they died? Before Jesus was lived, died, and rose again. They went to Abraham's bosom. They went to paradise, which was located in the middle of the earth. And when Jesus died, he went in and he descended into the lower parts of the earth. There are those that I think erroneously say, erroneously teach. Oh, he went in there and he was tortured for three days for you and I. No, there's nothing that hell could ever do to Jesus that was worse than to have his father turn his back on him on the cross. There's a very moment that Jesus, you and I have never experienced that by, before in your life, in my life. 
And you might sit here and go, no, it's happened to me. No, it hasn't because I know he didn't turn his back on you because right now your eyes, most of them are open <laughs> and, and you're listening to me and you're breathing. Which tells me that God's never turned his back on you. But he turned his back on his son. And for the first time in the history, Jesus cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you turned your back on me? Why have you forsaken me? He knew, he understood. But the power of that moment, you want to talk about the most agonizing moment, it was there. Why was Jesus sweating, as it were, great drops of blood? Why was he sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Eden? Or in the Garden of Gethsemane? The Garden of Gethsemane. Was it because of the torture that he was going to endure? Maybe a little bit. Was it because he was going to be tortured in hell? No. Was it because he was going to be beaten up? Maybe a little bit. What was the thing that was causing the most agony in Jesus? He knew that there was a moment that his father was going to turn his back on his son in his son's most needing moment. In his most desperate moment, the father looks upon a son who he could say, Enough! Son! Be healed! Be, be risen! Be, be, and you, you, all your wounds are healed! Come off the cross! I'm tired of these human race! Whoom, you're done! At that moment when he could do that, he looked at his son and saw that his son was suffering for mankind, for you and I, on the cross. And his father looked at that and he turned his back. Isaiah 53 says, it pleased the father to bruise the son. How does that happen? How is it that God would be pleased to bruise his son? Because he loves you that much. I want you to understand, I want this to sink into you and I that God loves you so much that he was willing to sacrifice his own son so that you could have eternal life. He turned his back on us and said, was, easy? was it easy? Absolutely not. But the end result was he knew he was going to rise again from the dead three days later. And not only would he have a son back, but he'd have you too. He'd have you and I. It's an extreme agony and the extreme decision that God made in order to secure yours and my salvation. We're going to have to make this a two-part message because I'm out of time, but here's the thing. Let's just finish with the paradise part then. Paradise. Jesus. He talks about, he went into the temple and he pulled out a scroll of Isaiah. And when he pulled out the scroll of Isaiah, he read. And what he read out of Isaiah was Isaiah chapter 61, and this is what it says. People were wondering who Jesus was. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings or the gospel. Good tidings means the gospel. To preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And then he closed the book. He didn't continue on. 
His first coming, that's what he did. The second coming, it continues on. But he didn't continue the, the same, the, 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 the second coming. Who were these proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound? Who is that? I believe it was everybody who died prior to the promise of Jesus Christ's coming. And I believe that when he went into the center of the earth, exactly where he said Lazarus and the rich man went, that there was a dual compartment in the middle of the earth. Hades, when we say, oh man, it's hot as Hades. You've ever heard that term? We've heard that term? Hot as Hades? That's not an accurate term though. Hot as Hades. Because in Hades, there was a place of paradise and there was a place of torment. And the two sides were separated by a great chasm that could not, one could not go from one place to the other. And when Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth, he didn't go there to be tortured. He is already tortured on the cross. He went to proclaim liberty to the captives. He went to set free those who had been prison bound for all those years, all the way from back in Adam's day. Adam was there. Abraham was there. Moses was there. Joshua, Caleb, they were all there. You know what kind of a day that was? It had to be awesome when Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth, the Bible tells us. He descended into the lower parts of the earth. Look at it says it right here. It says it right here. Um, it says uh, in chapter four of Ephesians. But to each one of us, grace was given. Chapter or chapter four, verse seven. You don't have to look it up. You can jot it down. You can go home and read it yourself. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. When he ascended, he led captivity captive. What's it saying? That goes back to the Isaiah 61 passage where he led captivity captive. What was the captivity? It was there in Hades, this place of paradise or this Abraham's bosom is what it's called. He ascended on high. When he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, gave gifts to men. And then it, and then it gives the narrative in here. It explains. He says in verse 9, now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. This is Jesus. He descended into the lower parts of the earth. What did he do? He went into paradise. He went into the Abraham's bosom. He went there where they weren't being tormented. They weren't being fired. They weren't, being on, they weren't on fire. Their souls were not in torment. They ob obviously had water. Let him dip the finger, Lazarus, dip his finger into the water and touch my tongue for my soul is in torments, the rich man said. So there's water there. There was, there was, it was a holding cell. Why a holding cell? Because Christ hadn't died and risen yet. The thief saying to Jesus, Jesus, when you enter in your kingdom, would you remember me? And Jesus says, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Where did Jesus go the day that he died? He descended into the lower parts of the earth. Where was paradise? 
the lower parts of the earth. Where was the thief with Jesus? The lower parts of the earth. And when Jesus rose again, three days later, can you imagine, just a second, just for just a second, can you imagine when Jesus died and he descended into the lower parts of the earth? All these guys, they can't see. They don't know. They don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears. And he's there in paradise. Joshua and Caleb and Moses and, 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 and you know, uh, Abel and Adam and Eve. All of them who died. Noah. They were all there. And Jesus, he enters into this. He comes into this place in the center part of the earth. And he goes in and they see him. Finally. They've been waiting there for so long. Waiting for the promise of the Father. And he came and said, Gang, today's the day. Sin has been paid. Sin has been paid for. The debt has been paid. I died on a cross. I am God in human flesh who has died for you and for those who will call upon my name in the future. I'm here. And we're going to, I am going to lead captivity captive. I'm going to set free you guys. We're leaving out of this place. No longer to be here. But now you will be with the Father. Now we will go and be with the Father. Now we will go to the third heaven and be with the Father. How do you know of the third heaven? Well, because that's exactly what Paul says. I was caught up. Not caught down. I was caught up. Which is an awesome term. Caught up. Because that is the same word that we get our word rapture from. He was raptured into heaven. He was raptured into the third heaven. And he acknowledges that the third heaven and paradise, same thing. I was caught up into paradise. Paradise is in heaven. It's no longer in the center of the earth. What's in the center of the earth now? Place of torments. What's in that place where they were? Empty. Anybody who was in that part is gone. Jesus let them them out. They're gone. Now they are with the Father. That's my take on that. I would, I, would, I would ask that if you have a different view, show it to me in Scripture. I don't see it. I see paradise being in a place, and I see that paradise being located in different locations. Jesus took paradise with him when he, went, when he ascended, and he went to heaven. And he took all those with him. That's why he says there in in chapter 11 of Hebrews, all of these, from Adam all the way until, until Christ, they all died looking forward to the promise. And then the promise showed up in paradise and he took it to heaven with him when he rose again from the dead. There's much more that we're going to talk about next week. This is, and we will get into... Paul's situation. Did Paul have an out-of-body experience? Did Paul have a near-death experience? What is it that Paul experienced here? Some will look at it and say, well, it was just simply a vision. Others will look at it and go, well, he talks about 14 years ago. And if you kind of look at the timing of this, 14 years ago, around 14 years ago, 14 years prior to that, Paul was stoned there in Lystra. 
And so, so it's possible, and it's even plausible, that Paul, when he was stoned to death, outside of the city, they dragged him out of the city and stoned him to death. And by them turning around and going back into the city, the people considered him dead. And Paul, it says that Paul got up and then did the unthinkable. You know where Paul went? Back into the city, right from where they cast him out. Would you listen to a guy like that? No matter what he looked like. Paul's doing this because he's passionate about the church. I, I, I try to teach because I'm passionate about the church. I know we're not big. It doesn't matter. Jesus didn't have a big following either. When he did have a big following, he chased him off. I will never say you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. I would never do that. Jesus did. Chased a bunch of people off. 15,000 in one day. And then he asked the disciples, hey, you guys want to go too? He wasn't threatened by people. The amount of people. But here's what he was. He loved them all. He was moved with compassion for people. It's the reason he was hung on a cross. Because he loved you that much. He loves you. He loves me. Gang, we have an awesome Jesus. We have an awesome Father. We have an awesome God. And he loves you. And I hope and pray that you have a relationship with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. And I know that we've kind of gone uh, all over the place, really, in Scripture today, talking about paradise. (laughs) It's talking about heaven. God, how glorious. Talking about what happened that day when you descended and ascended three days later. What a glorious day. What a complete day. What a fulfilling day for those who had died before you ever were on the face of the earth. Before you ever came as God incarnate, God in the flesh, in Jesus Christ. They died. Many of them were there for a few thousand years. But then you came. The joy of that day, I'd love to see that day in replay, in replay, Lord in heaven. What a day that would be. I pray, God, that you would help us. And I, and I pray in some way or another, I've been able to make the Bible come alive to some people, to all of us. It's really happened. You're really real. Heaven is true. Hell is a reality. It's real. And a relationship with you cannot be missed. And I pray, Lord, that today I've encouraged some. I pray that today we've learned I pray that today we can look back at the time that we've just talked about and, and be thankful that we, we weren't there, but recognize that we live in this day. Now, what can we do for the Lord? If he did so much for us back then, 
and he's still living for us, making intercession for us before the Father today. What type of a person, what kind of a man, what kind of a woman would you want us to be? God, you have a plan for our life, every single one of our lives in this room. Help us not to squander it. Help us not to be posers and pulpits. But help us to be the real deal. Help us to love you. Help us to serve you. Help us to live for you passionately that we would see those that we love so much come into your kingdom, Lord. May we share with them. May we be willing to take a whip for them. May we, we be willing to take a stone for them. May we be willing to do whatever it takes in order for our loved ones and, and even those that we don't know to enter into a relationship that we have ourselves. I pray, Lord, that we all do. I pray that if there's somebody here that doesn't have a relationship with you, right now it's so simple. You, you don't put a bunch of, uh, of, of points that you have to do. You just have, simply have to believe that Jesus Christ, you died in a cross, you rose again three days later for them, their sin. They're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We are sinners. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. I believe that when you died on a cross, you died for me and my sin. I want you to be my Lord, my Savior, my God. Simple. Now the life that we live from this day forward is no longer ours. Forgive me of my sin. Take my sin. Give me your life. Give me the life that you want me to live. Show me the way, Lord, and help me to live it from this day forward. Doesn't mean I'm not going to slip. Doesn't mean I'm not going to fall and break my teeth at times. Doesn't mean that I'm not going to backslide a little bit here and there. But, Lord, I don't want to do it. I don't want to just excuse my backsliding. I don't want to do it. I want to follow you. And I want to tell others about you. I want to go to heaven and I want others to go to heaven with me. I want heaven to be full. My family, my friends, of my coworkers, of the people that are in my life, Lord, that I have given, that you have given me an opportunity to have influence. I want to see everybody in heaven. Help me to live my life, to open my mouth, to operate my instruments in order to bring you glory and drive people to you. May they see you in my life. May they hear you in my voice. May they see you in my actions. Thank you, God, for saving my soul. Now, Lord, use me to go out and harvest the white fields that are among us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In